When I am sick, I cannot, uh, especially when I have fever, I cannot really open my eyes much. Uh, I, my, my technique when I'm not doing well is to, and I advanced this technique with my wife's help this time, was uh, I usually get the wet cloth folded over and just put it across my eyes and just lie still. Uh, but this time we took it to a new level. We got three cloths and we had a little, a little uh, thermos with ice water in and I dipped it down in there and then I had the other ones chilling and I would squeeze it and put it over my eyes and just, oh, just try to recover. Lisa doesn't do the wet cloth thing. It's not her thing. But uh, for me, it made all the difference. Uh, one of the things in that situation, though, it makes it difficult uh, f to, to read in that situation. So uh, as Mr. Mr. Diaz uh, talked about uh, the, the importance of prayer, there's also the importance of study, even when you're sick. Uh, so I was in a bit of a dilemma, but uh, my oldest daughter put, it was, I have zero skills technology, she put the, the Bible audio on my phone. How many of you have that? How many of you have Bible audio on phone? Few. Okay. Anyway, she put that on there. And this guy that reads it, I, that, this guy's voice is just intense. Uh, uh, the prophecy of Zechariah. And then he just, he's just got this great voice. I can just listen, listen to him. But uh, in the process of my sickness, I listened. I'm not doing this to like uh, brag. I'm just saying I was, I was sick for a long time and I had nothing to do. So I uh, I was killing time, as, uh, as uh, was, was uh, brought up in the sermonette. So I, I listened to uh, the entire gospel of Matthew, the entire gospel of John, and the, the book of Malachi, the last book. And, and again, there is, there is no substitute for reading God's word and, and reading it slowly and thinking about God's word and, and meditating on it, but when you can't open your eyes, it, it just doesn't work. So I, I was so thankful for technology because I just listened. And one of the neat things about uh, the book, uh, the Bible on audio, especially with this guy's voice, I got to figure out who this guy is because I'm sure he does other other uh, readings beside uh, just the Bible. But I, I found myself just really getting into the story flow of these, of these books, of, of the events that are happening versus uh, I tend to kind of study by, by topic or scripture or, or chunks here or there. But just to, just to listen and, and get the story flow of what's happening. And then sometimes I'd go back and just listen to it again and uh, to, to get into that feel. It is, I think it's an effective way to study the Bible. I, don't, I definitely would state it's not the only way to study the Bible, uh, but it is uh, at times a very effective way to just get a flow of things uh, as, as you go through it. So I, anyway, it, it triggered the, the topic of what I want to cover, not only today, but in the next message. Uh, it, it's not really a two-part message. They, uh, message. They, they kind of stand separate, but both of the, both of the things that I, I read uh, bring to mind uh, what I wanted to cover. Today's message will be more of a Bible study, okay? I, it's not going to be so much a sermon. There will be an element of that would be more preaching sermon message down the down the stretch at the end that that I hope uh, as we as we go through this this subject that I hope we will uh, as God's people see a great sense of comfort and peace in in knowing what God is doing with us as we 
stay yielded to him as we continue to turn to him. Uh, but there's also an element that is a, is a dire warning, a dire warning for the church and a, and a dire warning uh, in many respects to mankind. I had just listening to it over and over, I had an insight that uh, really hit me more than uh, it ever had uh, before. So I'd like to talk about that at the end. But get your mind in the mode of more of a Bible study as, as we go through this. this I, I've, I've always found this, this subject fascinating. It's, it's uh, one that is covered in the book of Malachi. So let's, let's go there. Uh, next, the next message will be more of, uh, uh, as I mentioned, more of a preaching kind of message to go through uh, to really, really look inward. I'm not, I'm not saying that we're not going to do that today uh, a little bit, but uh, today's will be more of an informational uh, understanding kind of uh, a passage as we deal with a subject that actually... Uh, is a, it's a revisitation for some, but over which disputes in Christ's time arose about, about it. And even today, the various Church of God groups that are out there, there are different thoughts on what is, is really going on with this particular aspect of prophecy that we find in the book of Malachi. So uh, if we could, let's turn to Malachi, and we'll first go to chapter 3. Uh, as, <clears throat> as we know, with almost always with prophecy, whatever the specific subject, uh, there, there is always the appeal to watch, to observe what's going on, to watch what's going on around us, to see the signs of the times, to watch here. We always talk about that, to examine our ways, to repent as needed. We've got a little bit of that uh, this, in the first message, you know, as we reflect on our lives. Uh, am, I, am I zealous on, on prayer? Am I, am I dedicating myself to the degree that I should on a daily basis? Am I lax on that? Where, where am I on this whole seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first? Am I, am I really there? You know, Malachi in his day, uh, there was, there was a, a kind of a laissez-faire. It, it's not really that big of a deal. I mean, God, you're upset. Why are you upset at this, God? Well, this, is, this isn't that big a deal. And, and these things were big deals to God. Uh, and prayer is a big deal uh, to God. But, but anyway, uh, but we'll, you know, there are always those aspects of, of prophecy. To repent as needed, to examine our ways, to appeal to watch. And then, and then lastly, this renewing our zeal for God and his ways while living in this present evil world, as Mr. Smith said in the opening prayer. It's always, to, what is our zeal level? What's my zealousness uh, uh, level here with respect to, to where we are? The, the title of today's message is Malachi, Elijah Layers, Elijah Layers in Prophecy. Again, Bible study-ish, okay? So, so let's, let's explore the, what, we, what I, I've termed, or I, I think what can be said, of the Elijah layers that we see in prophecy. Now, in Malachi's day, what individual or what other book really corresponds with the, the prophecies or the timing uh, chronologically of Malachi's message. Uh, don't yell it out, but mentally think about that. We've got, we've got uh, you know, 585 
Judah goes down, Jerusalem goes down, Israel, the northern tribes had been in captivity. 585, Nebuchadnezzar takes them out, carts them off uh, a bunch to, to Babylon. They come back 70 years later, and, and then we see the, the reestablishment of Jerusalem, the dwelling in Jerusalem, and trying to get things back in order. Ezra comes along the scene later, in four, what, 450s, 460s, uh, somewhere around that time. And then uh, there's another individual that comes on the scene to really help shore up the walls in, in, uh, in, in Jerusalem and, and create a, a safe environment and also restore right worship to clean up the Levitical priesthood. It was a mess. The individual was even uh, had a stick and was whacking them. Or I mean, what, can't remember what he's doing, but they, they, they were so off that he, they, they whacked, whacked on some of the, the Levites that were out of it. It's like, get these folks in shape. We got to restore worship to where it needs to be. Who was that individual? It was Nehemiah. Malachi, uh, the, of, of, of the prophecies, uh, Malachi, it appears, uh, prophesied in, in that time of, of Nehemiah's time, Nehemiah is just a little after, somewhere in that, in that neighborhood is where we generally place the writings of Malachi. So those of us here, those of you here who are, are more Bible students, you, you think of all that was going on in Nehemiah's time, and we think about all that was happening with Malachi and what Malachi was addressing that God wanted Malachi to address by God's word to him. We see a lot of parallels there. So that was, you know, say what was 420s, 4, 4, uh, 420s, maybe 430s BC. When is the next written aspect of God's word? When does that come out? Or when, when, when do the events of, of the Bible pick up from there? They don't pick up again until 400 plus years later, 4 BC, Christ is born. So we see nothing, we see nothing written in, in these 400 years that, that, is, is the Bible, it, you know, the uh, inspired word of God that is, is part of these, these collection of books. We see nothing, nothing written. So uh, Malachi makes all these, these warnings and the, states all of these concerns about the deterioration and the, the, the lax approach that, that the, the people there in Israel were, were involved in. And then what, what do we see 400 years later? We see the Pharisees. We see the Sadducees. We see the Sanhedrin. We see all the dynamics going on in, in these, in these uh, bodies of, of governing rulership and, and scripturally and what they're teaching and, and Christ coming and addressing all of that. So let's, let's come now back to Malachi 3. Malachi 3, as we deal, uh, begin to address these, what we would call Elijah layers in prophecy. Again, a review for many, but uh, hopefully uh, for, for those who haven't studied it for a while or, or have studied it, that hopefully it will uh, prove uh, interesting today as we see uh, the, the way that this ties not only to, to then, but uh, to now and in the future. Malachi 3 verse 1, he says here, <clears throat> he says, Behold, I send my messenger, in the New King James, M is capitalized my, so in, in a sense... The, the spokesperson, be it, be it Christ or, or be it God or be it, uh, you know, obviously Christ was the one who would have directly inter interacted with Malachi on this as, as 
part of the God family since no man has heard God's voice at any time. But uh, if, if this is Christ talking here as he's giving this uh, information to Malachi, uh, of course it would have been done completely with the authority and, and connection with God the Father. But he says, I'm going to send my messenger. So my messenger, messenger being a small m, meaning a human being, I'm going to send a messenger, and, and this messenger will prepare the way before me, capitalized me, before me. Uh, speaking here of, of God or of, of Christ. There is a messenger that's going to prepare the way before him. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. Now, who's the messenger of the covenant here? Is it, is it the, the small m uh, that is the messenger who prepares the way before me? No, it's the messenger of the covenant is, is the Lord. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. The Lord... And then an appositive, in a sense, uh, speaking of a description of the Lord, this individual who is the messenger of the covenant. He will suddenly come to his temple. Now, when did that happen? When did the Lord, i.e., the messenger of the covenant, when did he suddenly come to his temple? Uh, it, it, we begin to address the layers. In whom you delight... Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Keep your finger there. Let's go to Daniel 9.27. I think Daniel 9.27 is an interesting statement, uh, where an interesting statement is made in the middle of the, of the 70 weeks prophecy. Uh, that is a, a sermon in itself. But uh, starting in verse 26, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Uh, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of war desolations are determined. Then he, we understand that he there to be a reference back to the Messiah, uh, he shall confirm a covenant, a, a berith, uh, the, the messianic covenant, the, the, the agreement with many for one week. Jesus Christ had a three-and-a-half-year ministry, in a sense. We're saying here he he's confirms that, that covenant, the covenant of, of, of the truths of God, the messenger of the covenant. He was the one who delivered the covenant to, to Israel. He was the one who was the, the author of the new covenant that he's talking about uh, instituting that, that happened with the beginning of, of the New Testament church through his death and all of that. But he says, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, uh, halfway through the week, halfway through the seven-year period, in the three and a half uh, years of his ministry, it's cut. It's cut. He's cut. In, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes uh, desolate. So, uh, you know, there, there is this, this individual that we would understand to be the Messiah who confirms the covenant. He is the messenger of the covenant. So now let's go back to Malachi 3, Malachi 3 verse 1. So uh, again, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, to what is this referencing? Is this referencing Christ's first coven, uh, coming, that this messenger prepares the way before the, the Lord, who is the messenger of the covenant. Uh, is it talking about his first coming? Is it talking about his second coming? Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, 
but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he, rightly capitalized here, speaking of, of Christ, he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He'll sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years, and I will come near you for judgment. I'll be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Eternal of hosts, for I am the Lord, I do not change. So verse 2, who can endure the day of his coming? And he also talks in verse 3 about purifying the sons of Levi. Okay, so students of the Bible to whom I am addressing, when, when does that happen? Did, did, did Christ, in his first coming, purge and, and purify uh, the sons of Levi? That, that's a millennial reference, isn't it? It's a millennial reference. So uh, we, we see an element here of a layer. We see a layer of, of an individual that's pre preparing the way uh, for, for the first coming of the Lord. Uh, but there's also an element here that's speaking of, of a future uh, time and, and even enduring, who can endure the day of his coming. That has that more in time return of Christ, a second return of Christ kinds of implications. Ezekiel, we won't turn there, but you know, Ezekiel 40 through 48, uh, I think it's 48, uh, through that passage, it talks about what happens in the millennium when the temple gets restored and Christ sits there at, at, at the temple and, and temple worship is restored in every, every aspect. And we see the, the, the Levites and, and the priesthood with, within the tribe of Levi purified and, and things reset and, and set up as they should be in order to begin that aspect of service to God again. So there, there, there are some things going on here in, in not just a, a first coming reference, but a layer of a second coming reference of when Jesus Christ returns and, and begins to purify and, and purge uh, them as gold and silver. So let's look now at Malachi 4, Malachi 4, verse 1. This is, this is the area, Malachi 4, 1 through 6, is uh, the main area from which we'll work uh, for the rest of the message today in, as we look at these layers of Elijah. Malachi 4, verse 1. Now think, think of the... What is the time frame here? What, as, as we look at the context of, of, this, of this chapter, what, what time frame would you say this fits? For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up. Is that referencing Christ's first coming? I don't think so. Uh, he says, uh, says the Lord of hosts, that will ne leave them neither root nor branch, but to you who fear my name, here's the, the comfort and the encouragement that we get as, as we are walking in God's ways. Uh, 
But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On that day that I do this, says the eternal of hosts. So this one through three here is, is talking about a time period that is, is future, uh, to some degree, we're seeing some of those events line up with his, his, his return, Christ's second coming. But then ultimately, we, we see as we, as we push that on out, when ultimately death and, and uh, Hades and death and the grave are all destroyed at the very end of it all before God the Father brings uh, his throne down, down, to, down to earth. But we see this, this, this end time ramification of this is coming. This is coming. Now, verse 4, <clears throat> he says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, the, this, uh, this law which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. And then he says in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. The, the work of this prophet. I will send you Elijah the prophet. Well, Elijah's dead. Elijah was, was back in the times of, uh, of, of Ahab, the king, king in Israel. I, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the, great, the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Not, uh, not referencing, that, that's not a sound of the first coming. But I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with total destruction. Uh, this, this total destruction, uh, as can be rendered here, with, with this curse, the curse of, of total destruction. So what's, what's going on here then? So let's look at the, the layers then of this, this situation of, a, of ascending the, uh, Elijah the prophet. To do that, we're going to look at some, some statements that were made by Christ and, and others in, in the, uh, the period when Christ was here on the earth. We're going to go back and we're going to look at some of Elijah's life, and we're also going to look forward into uh, some of the, the prophecies found in, in Revelation. One, one element is, is one element or one layer to this prophecy that, that the, the church over the years has talked about that we, that we can take from this. And, and I would say that it's, a, I don't know if we'd say it's an ancillary point, but it's, it's, it, it, it is an element to that, that that could be at work here with this statement, is, is if we were to take this literally of, of the work of this of this individual or this person that is that is is termed here Elijah the prophet that is sent in the end that he turns that he turns the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers one of the things that we we've often thought about this you know whether this is referencing the Elijah it, it doesn't make sense that it would be the Elijah that would come back because He's dead and in the grave, as David is dead in the grave, and, and he would be raised at, uh, at the return of Christ, as, as with the other dead uh, prophets who, who had the spirit of Christ in them. But, but it, could it be an individual who is, is, is operating in the spirit and power of Elijah, as we read uh, in other places? Uh, but 
but one of the thoughts that, that we've had is that this individual would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. This, this, this could be this, this literal reference to, to the people of God, the, the body of Christ with, with whom he's working in this end time before the coming of the, of the great and dreadful day of the Lord to, to, in a literal sense, in working within our families in the body of Christ, that understanding God's ways and God's truths and, and the application of them, that we, we literally are doing that in our families and we're doing that within the church, that, that the parents who are setting a godlike example for their, their children, are, are, their hearts are turned towards their children in a godly way and the children respond to that godly example, that connection of love and and, and right living and, and care and compassion and education and all of that. And they're, they're turned back to the fathers, to the parents, and, and learning God's way of life and living God's way of life, all of that. Uh, to some degree, I think there could be a case made for that. That, that could be a part of the application here. Before the, the, the great and uh, the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so we, we ask ourselves, are, is, is that part of our mission as parents? Is that part of our, our mission and our awareness as, as children to, to respect our parents as, as Scripture uh, tells us, to honor our father and mother and for, our, our parents, uh, for the parents to, to teach and guide and direct and not, not uh, provoke our children to wrath, but nurture them in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And as we see that happening, we see the strength of the body of Christ uh, grow and becoming more and more knit together. I, I think that, that, that could be a, a, an, an element to this. Uh, I, I've thought for years that we through the church have been taught and, and blessed by God to create this kind of environment on an individual family level within the church. And, and in some respects, I see it getting better and better with each generation. Of course, any, any decision by any, any one of us in any generation can derail that. And we, we see that happening sometimes. We, we see the mistakes that we made, we see the, the strengths, but, but we also see an understanding in, in what, it, as you know, with the end time era of the church, we've seen uh, the church grow in understanding with aspects of parenting and, 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 and nurturing and, and how to set that example and, and build the kind of family and the strong marriages uh, that we need to create this kind of environment where the hearts of the children are turned to the, to the fathers and, and the fathers to the children. I, I think that, that's, that's, that's maybe a, a takeaway from this prophecy. I don't think it's the key uh, element, but we know God, God loves his children and, and God wants his children to be very, very connected and bonded as God works through the family unit, uh, the individual physical family units to teach the children uh, how, to, how to continue in God's way. That's an element. But uh, let's, let's look at, at, at a, I, I, what I, would, I guess we would say a deeper level, uh, a deeper level a deeper layer or another layer to what's going on here. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Behold, verse, verse 1 of chapter 3, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Many of you are ahead of me, but let's go here. Uh, Luke 1. So let's see the, another layer 
Luke 1. Luke 1, verse 13. This is as the angel of the, uh, of the Lord is, is talking to Zacharias. Elizabeth is barren. They're, they're aged. They have, uh, he's diligently served in the, in the temple. Uh, according to the division of Abijah, uh, verse 5. So the angel uh, comes to Zachari- Zachariah and says in Zacharias in, in verse 13 and says, Do not be afraid, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Well, that has a little bearing from the news that we heard this week, doesn't it? What, what, what did we hear this week? Was it yesterday? The Roe v. Wade situation overturned. So now it's, uh, here we are in, in the state of, of, of our country. Uh, who would have thought that Roe v. Wade would have ever been overturned? And yet here it's been overturned. So now it goes back, uh, again, uh, governmental uh, expert on all things government and civics. Burnett is talking here, so please please uh, uh, take anything I say with a grain of salt because I could have it off. But uh, my understanding is that through, through the, this, this recent uh, decision, now it goes back to the hands of the states to determine the situation of, of, of abortion and what's, what's appropriate as, as decided by the people in, in the various states. Uh, some of you probably watched uh, that where people are, are dancing in the streets with joy and others are, are mourning because of the brutal, barbarous treatment that, that our nation is, is putting upon women to not give them choice over their own bodies to determine whether or not they put that, that, that child to death in the womb. Uh, it's just a tragic situation to where uh, you, you would think, how could, how could people not be happy? Uh, but it is, it is the, the nature of the, the complete selfishness and, and the confusion that's there with so many uh, and just the, the anger, the seething anger that folks have over, uh, over this overturn and what that could mean. Companies are running to the forefront to say, we will pay, if, if, if our state doesn't uh, uh, permit that, uh, we as a company are saying now, we will pay for you to go out of state to get that abortion because your rights are important. But, you know, I just, I just think of all that. What a, what a sad state of affairs. What, again, is, does it, does it, it's just one element of where we as God's people say we must we, we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We must see Jesus Christ return to this earth to right these things that cannot be righted by man. But here is an individual, verse 15, who will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. God will, would place the Holy Spirit. We've got uh, him jumping for joy in the womb when it uh, comes up uh, close to, uh, in, in Elizabeth's womb, when it comes close to, to Mary, who has Christ uh, in her womb. 
the, the, the jumping for joy that, that, that takes place. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, continuing, verse 16, and he, speaking here of, of John the Baptist, he will turn many of the children to the Lord their God. Well, here it is. There's that statement that we saw in Malachi. Is, is John the Baptist Elijah? Is, is he uh, the, the Elijah? He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, the the children to the father. Uh, he will also go before him. Look at this. He will go before, speaking of John, John the Baptist will go before Jesus Christ in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What, what's he mean there? Prepared for the Lord. Prepared prepping them for the, the reality of this being coming into his ministry, Jesus Christ, his three-and-a-half-year ministry. He's prepping them for that. And, and in that, it, the message of repentance that, that uh, uh, John the Baptist is giving to, to get folks thinking in that respect, to turn to, turn to God. It also, one of the thoughts that we've had over the years of, of, of what is this turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the, the disobedient uh, to the wisdom of, of, the, of the just. Uh, some, some have thought that the, the fathers could also even represent the, the patriarchal fathers, the Abraham, the Isaac, the Jacob, uh, you know, the Genesis 26.5 of Abraham, but because he kept my, you know, because Abraham kept my statutes, my judgments, my laws, uh, my commandments, uh, you know, he, he, they, they followed that. They, they had the godly wisdom, the wisdom of the just, the just ones who served God, that, that the, the people of Israel would turn back to their, their fathers, their, their physical fathers, these, these, these patriarchs that, that walked in God's ways. And, and there's a, a, a turning uh, to one another, to the, the, the teachings of that, uh, that that could be part of it. But, but to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So in thinking of that, let's go, let's go now to Matthew 11. So this, this individual, uh, it says here, John the Baptist, in Christ's time, would, would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And, and we see the parallels to Malachi 4 of, of this turning the hearts of the fathers, uh, the children to the father. Uh, so we, we see an element, we see a layer of, of a prophecy being fulfilled through a, a person, John the Baptist, who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. Matthew 11, verse 7. Matthew 11, verse 7. Let's look there. A little bit more about this. Matthew 11, <clears throat> verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, John the Baptist, what did you go out to, to the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see, Christ says? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who, who will prepare your way before you. That's a reference to Malachi 3. That's a reference to what we read earlier. Uh, he, 
John the Baptist was that, that messenger in, in that time, a, a layer of that, who prepared the way before Christ's first coming. Verse 11, Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John is, was flesh and blood, and there is no comparison to that of a person who is in the family of God, a spirit being. Uh, verse 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. There is a battlefront, that, 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 a battlefront in which we, where we're fighting, the illusion that's there. The kingdom of God forcefully advancing, and the forceful take hold of it, as the NIV renders here. Uh, for all the prophets and, and the law prophesied until John, and, and look at verse 14, and if you are willing to receive it, all the things that are being said here, if you are willing to receive it, listen to that. He is, John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to ear, hear, let him hear. So Christ is, is, is outwardly saying here that he is that Elijah who is to come. He, is, he, he, he fulfilled, uh, as we'll see, a layer of that. He was the Elijah to come with respect to Christ's first coming. Look at Matthew 17. Matthew 17, verse 10. Matthew 17. Verse 10. This is after the transfiguration as they're projecting... Christ brings them up and catches them up in this, this vision of projecting uh, the future. Uh, you've got Moses and Elijah there, and Jesus Christ is in all of his glory uh, in brightness. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. So uh, we, we know that, that story. But let's look now in verse 10. So the disciples asked Christ, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Because, you know, Christ said in verse 9, don't tell anybody uh, about this until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Well, they said, well, well, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. There is an, there, there, he's, he's talking here about a latter fulfillment. There is an Elijah who is coming who will restore all things before my second coming is what, what, what he's getting at there. Because this is a two-part two prophecy. He talks, he's discussing here again these layers. Look at verse 12. But I say to you uh, that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood. Oh, he was talking about John the Baptist. Yes, there, there was a, an Elijah uh, that, in, in a sense, that, that came to prepare the way before Christ's first coming, verse 12. But he says also, Elijah is coming. There is an, an Elijah that is coming who will restore all things prior to uh, the return of Christ. 
Remember when Christ was dying on the Stauros on the stake and the cross? Uh, they were, uh, the people knew about this Elijah that's to come because they were saying, as he said, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, uh, my God, why have they, you forsaken me? And they're listening and they're saying, listen, listen, is, is he calling for Elijah? Is, is, is he wanting Elijah to come? They knew that there is an Elijah uh, to come and they were wondering if, if, if Christ was, was saying that at the time. He was not. But they knew of that prophecy. Look at uh, John 1. John 1. Mar, uh, uh, John uh, the Baptist delineates by saying, I am not Elijah. I am not uh, Elijah. Uh, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He did a, a layer of an Elijah-like uh, like prophecy, uh, as Christ brings out, uh, but is he Elijah? Uh, look at John 1 as, as he delineates this. John 1, verse 21. John 1, verse 21. <clears throat> they were asking, well, who are you? He confessed uh, and did not deny, but confessed, verse 20, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. Well, so they asked him, well, well so, so John, what, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not Elijah. I'm not. Are you, are you the prophet? The Deuteronomy 18, uh, 15 and 18 statement about the prophet, which was a reference to Christ. He said, no, I'm, I'm, not, that, I'm not that prophet. So they said to him, well, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And then he quotes Isaiah 40. And he says, uh, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent were, were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, say, well, why then do you not baptize? Why do you baptize? If you're, not, if you're not the anointed one, if you're not the Messiah, and if you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet, why are you baptizing? John answered and said, I baptize with water. But there, there stands among you, one among you, speaking of Christ, whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. So verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, this individual who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. He is the one who was preparing the way for the messenger of the covenant. He, who, uh, he was the one who was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight uh, the way of the Lord. Here he comes. He's coming. He is coming now. I didn't know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, verse 32, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water to me uh, said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen it, and I testified that this is the Son of God. Behold, verse 36, uh, as he walked, behold the Lamb of God. So we see uh, these, these layers. He was the, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But those of you that know Isaiah 40, as you, we won't turn there, but as you read Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11, what's the context of Isaiah 40, 1 through 11? What's the time frame of that passage? It's millennial. 
It's millennial. It's, it's, it's speaking of the time when Christ has already come and, and establishing uh, it's, it, 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 his government. And you see all kinds of millennial type references uh, during that time period. So what are we to take from that? We're to take from that that we see layers, Elijah layers through prophecy. Uh, John saw himself as a layer, fulfilling a layer of Elijah in this particular aspect of prophecy leading to the first coming of Christ. Uh, and yet he says, I am, I'm not, I am not the Elijah. I'm not, I'm not the one that's coming, and I'm not the original Elijah. But, but he operated in the spirit and power of Elijah. Layers. You know, we see layers all the time. We see layers. Think about those of you that remember uh, Acts 2. Okay, let's, let's think on that for a second. We won't turn there. But Acts 2, you have Peter giving the Pentecost sermon. And he, he starts talking about how, uh, you know, they've, re, they've received the Spirit. And he says, your, your, your uh, daughters will dream visions. And, and, and all these things will happen. All the things of receiving the Spirit and, and the wonderful things that are taking place. And, and as he's saying that, it's, it's, it's saying it from the standpoint of this is being fulfilled now. This is being fulfilled as you're seeing the pouring out of God's Spirit on, on us, and, and then as the New Testament church begins with 3,000, this is happening. But when you go back to look at Joel, which he, from which he's, uh, which, which he's re referencing, Joel is very much an end-time thing. It's very much a, an end-time when, when Christ returns, and then God's Spirit is pour, poured out on all of mankind. That, that's the way God works so often in these prophecies. He layers it. This, this is a type or this is a, uh, a forerunner of, of the ultimate that happens later. And it's, it's beautiful to see that in God's word. So we see, we see you know, the first two things that we've talked about that maybe you know, a literal uh, understanding of, of prior to the return of Christ Parents, children, turning hearts to one another through, through God's way of life, those with whom God is working. We see a layer of, of this Elijah that is, is preparing the people for the Lord, for the first coming of Jesus Christ, fulfilled through uh, the work of John the Baptist who came in the spirit and in uh, power of, of Elijah. But let's look at another layer now. Let's go back to Malachi 4. Malachi 4. And this will be our last layer, although it will take a little bit of time to discuss. Uh, Malachi 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So he's talking about an end-time in time Elijah type figure whether that person, uh, again, comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, but an Elijah-type figure with an Elijah-type ministry at the end time prior to the, the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Let's look, at, let's look at 1 Kings 18 as we reflect upon the original Elijah and what he did. So I think that, that uh, helps us 
grasp not only, uh, to some degree, the work of John the Baptist, but, but what this in-time Elijah kind of message uh, will, will do for the people at that time, at the time of the end, prior to Christ's return. First Kings 18, let's look there. Remember the, the whole story of the prophets of, of, of Baal and, and Elijah, the lone prophet there. They're set up there at Mount Carmel uh, to, to have the showdown. Uh, how, uh, how long halt you between two opinions? If, it's, if God is God, serve him. If not, serve, serve the Baals. We know, the, we know that passage. Let's, I'm just talking and not turning. Do that so often. Here we go. Uh, Malachi, uh, Malachi, 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings 18, verse 21, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. People knew better than to say anything. They, they wanted to watch what, what's really going on. We've got Ahab here. We've got the prophets of Baal, the ones that Jezebel has been instrumental in, in setting up uh, in, uh, in all the false uh, worship and, and wickedness that was going on uh, with that. Elijah saw himself uh, as being alone. Uh, Baal's prophets there were 450 men. So they, they set up the two the two sacrifices, the altars, they're slashing their wrists, uh, shedding blood, trying to do everything that they can to try to get uh, Baal to come down and honor their sacrifice and, 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 and light the sacrifice. Of course, nothing happens. He baits them a bit and uh, cajoles them over, over all that they're doing. And then we come to verse 33. So he put the wood, this is uh, Elijah, he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water. Of course, we're in a, in a famine, uh, in, a, in a drought. Uh, we have uh, not even the dew comes up in the morning. It's, it's been uh, so, so dry in this, this drought that Elijah, uh, from God's word, has, has said would happen. So he says here, uh, and, and yet they're using water, and water is in scarcity. So they, they've got to be thinking about that as this water is getting poured as well. Fill four water pots with water. Pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Do it a second time. Do it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench with water. Verse 36, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the fathers, here, the God of, of, of the fathers, the fathers who walked in God's ways, that kept God's commands. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. It's not about me. It's not about anything I've done. It's I'm just doing your word because your word is right. Hear me, verse 37, O eternal. Hear me that the people may know that you are the Lord God. Notice this statement. And that you have turned their hearts back to you again. That was the critical thing that he was doing there was to demonstrate very clearly that God is God. He is the true God. He is the right God. To, to prepare that path to get them back on track. To turn the hearts of the children back to the Lord their God through this event. 
So, of course, as we know, uh, the fire of the eternal fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust. It licked up the water that was in the trench. All the people saw it. They fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, the eternal, he is God, the eternal, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook, Kishon, and executed all uh, 450 uh, of them there. The hand of the Lord, verse 46, as, as then the, the, the water, uh, the rain started to come as, as he had seen it and prayed before God and God uh, brought that upon uh, the rain. The hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And that's, that's a story in itself of what he was able to do there. But this what, what did the original Elijah the prophet do? His mission was to turn the hearts of the children of Israel back to their God. When we look into the future of the events surrounding uh, the, the nearness of the return of Christ, the second coming, let's go to Revelation 11. We, we see individuals uh, whom we've often wondered, are, are these individuals maybe the ones who are who are serving in that role, maybe one of the two witnesses uh, that are serving in, in this role of, of, of turning the hearts of the children uh, back to the Father, preparing the way for, uh, for the return of Jesus Christ. What do we see as the role of the church uh, now, the role of the church to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God uh, as a witness unto all the world? Uh, we see a, a, a role of, of the church in doing that. But what we, we also see throughout, throughout these examples, it, it has tended to be an individual. Uh, now, are we saying that, that, that in time Elijah must be a single individual? Could it be the two witnesses? Could it be uh, someone else? I don't, think we, I don't think we can say definitively what that is, but we do have, uh, we do have uh, a, a, a promise or a prophecy that this Elijah to come is, is going to be doing the kinds of things that we've, we've talked about, to be preparing the way uh, uh, of the Lord for his second coming. I think it's interesting uh, when we look at the parallels of Revelation 11, these two witnesses that are there doing the work of God uh, during the final uh, three and a half year tribulation. They are preaching uh, the truth. They are, they are witnessing of, of who God is and, and who Jesus Christ is, the truth, while the beast and the false prophet are, are, are preaching and, and, and telling their heresies and their lies and promoting the wickedness of, of Satan the devil. He says in verse 3 of chapter 11, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy this three-and-a-half-year period, this three-and-a-half-year ministry, 42 months, the 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth, Interesting, uh, the, 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 the get-up uh, that they're wearing, uh, similar to uh, the, the way of, of John the Baptist. But these are two olive trees, and these are the two olive, olive trees, a reference uh, back to Zechariah 4 and uh, lampstands, uh, Revelation 1, these, these prophecies. Standing before the God of the earth, and if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from, from their mouth and devours their enemies. 
And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These individuals, these two witnesses, have, have the power, uh, similar to uh, as Elijah did, have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the, in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. They are very powerfully representing God, witnesses of God, witnesses of Christ, witnesses of God's way of life down the stretch, and no one can harm them. God protects them. Another uh, element uh, to that is, is we, we see uh, what we see going on, I guess, would be the fruit of the efforts that we see there. We've got several gospel situations going on. We've got an angel that's going across the sky proclaiming the gospel. We have these two witnesses that are doing uh, the work that God would have them do. Uh, but as a result, we see people turning to God. Revelation 12 is a summation statement of God's people uh, in the end time. Uh, Revelation 12 uh, Revelation 12, verse 11, uh, mentioning individuals, the, the body of Christ, who overcame Satan, the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Some were protected, and he goes after to, to uh, make war with the rest of her offspring, those who are, are, are in the faith or coming into the faith during that, that time period leading up to the return of Christ, those individuals who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. There, there are fruits of this way of life, uh, uh, of, of the efforts uh, that God uses through the, the, uh, the gospel spreading of the message uh, leading up to the time of the end, the work of the church, the work of the two witnesses, the work of, of, of the, the gospel that the angel that's flying across the skies is, uh, uh, is, is preaching. Look at Revelation 14. Verse 6, Revelation 14, verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him. You know, in a sense, back to this Elijah kind of like prophecy of turn back to God, turn to Turn to the Father. Turn your hearts to the Father. For the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him, the one who made heaven and earth. There is a God who made heaven and earth, and God gives us understanding as we reflect upon him as, as creator and as he opens the minds of, of these individuals down the stretch to come to, his, to come to that calling. Look at what it says here in verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God. Uh, uh, and, and the faith of Jesus during this end time as, as Christ's return nears. And then I heard a voice, verse 13, from heaven saying to me, write, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. The, those that are coming into the faith and, and, and walking in God's ways, those who do not love their lives to the death, that are totally focused and fixed on the coming of, of Jesus Christ and on his way of life and, and living that in every aspect. 
We see uh, one other passage with respect to this in Revelation 7. We see a, a great multitude of people coming out of this great tribulation period. Well, how, 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 are they, how are they called and how are they drawn through what means? Well, we see evidence of that through the work here of, of, uh, of these two witnesses. We see the work through the, the, the everlasting gospel that is, is going out. But, but as a result of that, this, this work, I think we could, we could make it it's synonymous with the work of Elijah in the end time to prepare the way for the Lord, to, to turn the hearts of the children back to the Father. Uh, and again, we see that evidenced here in Revelation uh, 7 as it talks about this, this group of people. Verse 9, uh, after these things I look and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches, uh, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, who are these people? Who were these people as as, as uh, John is asked, and John said, well, you, you know, I, I don't know who these are. And he says in verse 14, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. These are the ones who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They now, as we project forward after Christ's return, serving, serving uh, in at the throne of God. There before the throne of God, they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Uh, so we, we see a, a very powerful work that is done in the end time and many, many turning to God during that time. And I submit to you that that is in part due to, to the work of this, this final Elijah to come. So as we, as we wrap this up today, I'd, I'd like to offer uh, one, one final thought that uh, I, I gathered as I, I, I couldn't open my eyes and as I listened to the story. And this is where I, I get a little bit into, into preaching here. But I, I found it interesting as I, as I listened to the story of Christ's life in Matthew and, and John and, and in the prophecy by, by Malachi that, that we see these, in, in a sense, two categories of people really stood out to me uh, in, in listening uh, to these three books in the last couple of weeks. One is that there are those who remain faithful, that, that love God, they, they love, love not their lives to the death, they remain faithful, they are constantly turning to God, constantly looking and examining and, and striving to be more and more like God. Uh, and, and keeping that focus there. We see that in Malachi of, of the, the book of remembrance was written to those who, who spoke often to one another. They were, they were focused, they were dedicated to this way of life. And, it, and it's very encouraging. And it's very encouraging to me uh, to, to read that and say, Andy, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it with God's help. God is there for you. He is there. He is pulling for you. You have, uh, you have Jesus Christ at the right hand of God who is, is assisting you and helping you and advocating on your behalf, Andy. You can make it, and, and you will make it. Uh, if God be for us, who can be against us as I, as I walk in that way? But there is another element that I, I, I won't, I don't know if I would say that I've changed my view, 
But by, by listening and, and reading the passages that I read, I have I've slightly altered, I, I guess, a picture of, of a certain category of people. And, and that's this second area. There are those that harden themselves and live in wickedness. And as I, as I have grown up in the church and as I think about the, the great white throne judgment period and all of that, you know, we think of 2 Peter 3, 9, the 1 Timothy 2, 4 of, of, of God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, uh, you know, and come through the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God is an incredibly merciful God. He is a God that is full of compassion and love for all of mankind beyond what you and I can even begin to grasp. He is incredibly patient. But at the same time, what really jumped out at me uh, this is that I think I have been in in error, if I can say this, of of seeing all of mankind under this umbrella of they're all going to come up and it's all going to be okay. And it it is simply not that way. I've come to see even more clearly, not that I didn't understand that, but but when you see the words of Christ as he gets after these Pharisees and these Sadducees, as, as, as you see some of the words that are written in the book of Revelation about this, this hardening as, as God is, is showing them things to turn more towards him, there are some that are so filled with wickedness and so filled with, I am going to do what I am going to do, and I know there is a God in heaven, but I will not do it. And God is sending trumpet uh, plague after trumpet plague, Revelation 9, Revelation 16, uh, uh, several things. He sends these things, and they say, no, I hate you, and they're angry, and they know it's coming from God, and they're, in, they're even more caught up in their wickedness. Uh, towards God. And let's look, let's look at a passage here in, in John. John, uh, John 9. We won't turn there for sake of time, but remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus is, is dead four days. They don't even want him to go in there and see Lazarus because they say by this time he stinks. You know, he's, he's been rotting in the cave for four days. He's very dead, Jesus. You didn't get here in time. Only if you had, you could have healed him. And uh, Jesus went in anyway and healed him. And then what, what was the response of the Pharisees? This is another, it's another sign. Oh, these signs of this guy. He's doing these things and he's, he's healing, he's bringing people to life. And, and now this Lazarus lives. And what did they say? What did they say? They wanted to find Lazarus and murder Lazarus because it, it demonstra- Lazarus's life demonstrated to others that this being, this, this, this being, Jesus Christ, was of God. They knew it, and they understood that, and they grew in their wickedness because of the power that they wanted to keep and the control that they wanted to have within the Roman system uh, that's brought out in John 11 and, and John 12. But look at John, John 9. Christ makes this statement. There's, you know, we see these passages uh, also about it, in, in the judgment. It'll be, more, uh, it'll be more lenient for these individuals than for you as you go through the process because of what 
they knew so little, and yet you know these things. There are, there are individuals who know things, who know things and see who God is, and, and yet still turn from him. Uh, we see another resurrection that is not a resurrection to uh, a period of judgment to be taught God's ways. It is a period of ultimate condemnation. Some of the Pharisees, John 9, verse 40, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Well, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. And I think that's the, the, uh, the lesson for us. We see, brethren. We see. Uh, and there are, there are also people out in, there in the world, I believe, that are completely caught up in wickedness and who do see. Many, many, I, I hope and pray that the vast majority do not. They're confused. But there, but there are some who do see and in their wickedness uh, turn from that. Christ talks several times about the Pharisees and Sadducees. You're pushing up against this, folks, and he gives them a different direction than he does others who are, who are struggling and, and know not which way they're going. Think about Jezebel. Think about Jezebel. She saw all of this happen. She, she was told by Ahab that the fire came down from heaven and consumed the offering and, and that the, the drought was completely ended. She had to know. She knew. And, and yet she says, you're a dead man. Elijah, you are a dead man and I'm going to take you out or let the gods do to me what they will be, but I, but I will get you uh, before then. Just uh, filled with wickedness. Again, I pull back and say God is judge. God is judge and I'm glad he is judge and he, the almighty, uh, filled with mercy and compassion, will judge all of mankind, but God knows the hearts. And we see evidence in Scripture of individuals whose hearts are so turned and twisted uh, in, in wickedness that maybe they've made their decision. The beast and the false prophet, they don't come up in the great white throne judgment, do they? They don't come up. They get cast in the lake of fire when Jesus Christ returns and defeats the armies because they know. They knew what they were doing. They knew the wickedness that they were a part of. So it, not only does, does the message of Elijah, uh, lest, I, uh, lest I come and strike the earth with total destruction, uh, ashes under the feet, not only does it, it, it have a, a message to those who are the incorrigible and that we as God's people must be very, very careful and open to understanding and asking God to help us see any wickedness that might be in us and to purge that from us because that, that's crossing that line. That's going into that point of no return. Uh, so may we, as God's people, not only recognize that from, from the message of the layers of Elijah uh, and, and, and turn in any particular way that we need to, but may we also take great hope and confidence and support in the fact that God, through the Elijahs, has prepared uh, the way of the Lord and has helped us turn our hearts as children to our Father in heaven.